I go, yeah, like if Jesus came and he died and made atonement for us so that at the day of judgment we're covered in the blood, we're not standing before him on the basis of our own filthy garments, but rather his righteousness, and thus we inherit eternal life. And if we were to die today, yes, our spirits would be with him. But from a biblical perspective, the reality is we're not called to be ghosts forever. Okay, so even those that are in heaven now are waiting something very central, very crucial, that is thoroughly spoken of throughout the Bible, which is called the day of the Lord, the return of Jesus, and the resurrection of the dead. Which is to say, it's strange to think that well, even those that are in heaven are waiting. You see the book of Revelation, the, the souls of those that were martyred are under the throne, they're saying, how long? How much longer? And so the reality is Jesus came not just to die on the cross for our souls, which he did come to save our souls, but he actually came to redeem all of creation. In the beginning, he created the heavens and the earth, and it was all good. Like, so I used to, when I first got saved, I was, um, I was confused because I would read, like, you can't love God and love the world. And I was kind of like, well, I like birds and trees, like, why should I hate them? But I didn't understand, world means the worldly system, this current, fallen, broken, corrupt, messed up insanity, this system that we live in now, it's temporary. It's temporary, and we're not, we're not to love the world, the things of this world, rather we're to be in love with the value system of heaven, which someday will essentially subsume all of creation. And so yes, the trees and the animals will be redeemed, the bunnies, and so on and so forth. You know, uh, what are we, two weeks past Easter? So I don't know if you guys saw this on Drudge Report. So the Easter Bunny, it's been like only two weeks since Easter with inflation or anything. The Easter Bunny actually had to get a job um, <laughs> at the local brewery that's the airplane at last night. And um, they put him in charge of the hops. Okay, so uh, I've, I've, uh, I've got a whole, hand, a whole pocket full of new dad jokes that I've heard. So we're going to go ahead and start with uh, Hebrews 6. Verse 17 through 19, and it's a beautiful passage. There's several passages like this in Hebrews that I just love. And forgive me, can you read that? Yeah, it's, it's probably small, but most of the other scriptures would be a little bit bigger. So it starts out, it says, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear. He wanted what he is doing to be very clear, what his intentions were to be very clear to the heirs folks promise. That's us. That's his people Israel, and then we who are not Jews, we get you know, the former crazy pagans, we get grafted in. Because the reality is, if you're not Jewish, either you or one of your forefathers at one point was a crazy pagan. That the Lord opened our eyes, saved us, and now we get to be part of this whole program. So, he, he wanted to wanted what he was up to to be very clear to us. So when he made these promises, he's going back essentially to the Abrahamic covenant. It's a little technical. But he confirmed it with an oath. Now God did that so that by two unchangeable things, like God actually swore upon himself. The point is he's going like, look, what I'm promising here, 
like I'm very serious about. Just to kind of give you a summary, he had Abraham cut these. How many people in the room were in Oklahoma? How many people have ever slaughtered a cow? I was loving it. One, two, how many, how many more? Three, that's a handful. It's good to be in parts of the country where the snowflakes are less. How many people have just um, skinned a deer? You know, a bit more. Like a large mammal, a cow particularly. Like that leaves an impression on you. I don't care whatever, like what type of... So he had, you know, because most people today are just detached, right, from like animal sacrifice and all of this. The Lord had Abraham cut a cow in half. And then a ram and goats and a couple of birds. He just strangled the birds. I don't think he cut them. But anyway, and he makes, he has to arrange them so it's like a path down the middle. And then the Lord appears in the form of fire and smoke. It's a flaming, smoking oven and a flaming torch. And he, he passes in between the pieces and he says, To you and your descendants I have given this land forever. And the purpose of that was for the Lord God, think about this, the one who made the universe. He spoke and the universe came into existence. He said, if I don't fulfill the promise that I'm making right now, may I dilate these bloody, stinking, severed carcasses. Like, that's the whole point. He's the God of object lessons. He's like, I intend to fully. Now, how many people believe God is faithful? Right? And that's the foundation. That's it's sort of the foundation for everything that he's up to. And he still has plans to utilize this piece of property to bless the whole earth. We don't kind of get into all that. And so the Lord made it very clear so that by two unchangeable things, it's impossible for God to lie. And then it refers to us this way. I love this. It says, we who have fled. What have we fled from? What have we fled? We have left behind the world. The world system. All of the vanities and the lies and the deceptions and again the insanity of the world we have fled that we have fled to take hold of something it says to take hold of the hope offered to us so this is what we're talking about what is the gospel what is the hope that the gospel offers so that we would be greatly encouraged because as soon as we leave the entire system out there is structured the messaging the media TV, YouTube, the news, everything is structured to discourage us regarding this hope. And it will. If you don't regularly come on Sundays, fellowship with your brothers and sisters, spend time in the Word, discouragement will eat away at your heart and your soul. So we gather together to encourage one another on a regular basis. And then it says this, we have this hope. So we're going to talk about this hope. What is this hope? But this hope is an anchor for our souls, firm and secure. So in the midst of the storms, in the midst of the raging of the seas, there's an anchor on the beach, or there's an anchor underneath that's holding us, unshakable, immovable. And as the world, as the nation around us falls apart, as the world, as our lives fall apart, our individual lives, the storms of this world tear us apart. We have something unshakable, unmovable, firm, and secure. This hope, everything else can fall apart. Your marriage, your health, your country, your nation, your neighborhood, your finances, everything can fall apart. That anchor of hope is unmovable. So let's talk about it. When Jesus returns, 
you will establish a kingdom on the earth. So this is why I said he still plans to use a particular piece of property. He doesn't just come back and sort of cosmically rule from the sky. He comes back to a piece of property. It's called Jerusalem, Mount Zion, and he will rule the earth for a thousand years from a particular piece of property. It's strange to think. Like, that's everywhere throughout the Bible, throughout the Old Testament, everywhere. And how often do we talk about that? I'm sure, like, probably Josh probably has, but it's not super common. But the essence of this kingdom, the foundation of the kingdom, is justice. So we're just going to look at a whole bunch of verses. Isaiah 9, verse 7. We always look at this around Christmas. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. That's strange. That when his kingdom is established, it continues to expand and increase. It's not just one and done. It grows. And on the throne of David, and over his kingdom, he comes back to reestablish the Jewish monarchy. On the throne of his father David, it will be reestablished. To establish it and uphold it with what? Justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal, the passion, the fiery, burning, intense zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. There is a cry throughout the earth for justice, particularly among the youth. And it's interesting, even among the unbelievers, there's sort of like this cry for justice. But the reason there's a cry for justice is because the current system is so broken that there is an increasing lack of justice. You know, you just hear these stories in the news that drive you insane. You go, how in the world did a judge rule in favor of this? You know what I mean? Like, um, there was a thing I saw on, um, I don't know, on YouTube or something. It was funny. It was this comedian. And he called into, I was just in Seattle last weekend. Um, uh, so, Seattle, Portland, like we've all, you know, watched the past couple of years. Like, how in the world do these government leaders allow these idiots to establish like a like a city within a city? I don't remember what they called it up in Seattle, like Chaz or something. It was like the self-autonomous anti-fa communist. And I'm like, and they let this happen. Like I would go in there with flamethrowers. You know what I mean? Like if I was in charge, now I might be a little extreme. Um, but you know what I mean? It's like you just like it's crazy. So there was this, uh, I, I shouldn't I get off on these weird stories, but it was, this guy was a comedian, and so they had this thing, it was like a local town hall, but in the age of COVID, they did the town hall on Zoom. So it was the mayor of, um, I don't remember, one of these crazy cities, and this comedian calls in, and because it's a town hall, he has the legal right to talk for like five minutes, and so he's sitting in his car with his dog, and he's like, hey, bro, hey, mayor, I just want to thank you, man. Like, you're the most chill mayor ever. And um, he goes, you know, I was down there in Texas, you know, but then my wife got radicalized. She got all into Trump and stuff. So, you know, like, I took off and I went to L.A., man. And he's like, but then, you know, I hopped on a train with some guys. We ended up up here in, in Seattle. And he's like, he's like, and you guys get the best meth ever. He's like, and I can just park on the side of the road for, like, weeks. Like, and he just goes on, and you know the mayor just has to listen to it. He's like, and your, your police won't do anything. He's like, but you know, the only thing I appreciate you guys giving out all the needles for us drug addicts. He's like, but man, these drug addicts, he's like, man, I don't want to get COVID. You know, like, so, I mean, like, he's just harassing the mayor. But 
Like, this is the thing. This is satire. But it's totally real. Like, this is our government now. And you look out at the world, you're like, what is happening? It's craziness. There is a cry, like a legitimate godly cry, forgive me for the weird humor, um, for justice. You go like, what happened to basic justice in the earth? And the essence of the kingdom that's coming is justice. Now, justice is for who? For those that have been treated unjustly. For the poor, for the needy. The good news is primarily for who? For those that are suffering, for those that have been mistreated, for those that have been hated, marginalized, etc., etc. So this kingdom is coming. Isaiah 11, verse 4. When he returns with, just, with righteousness, he will judge the poor. He will decide with fairness for the afflicted. So the, the good news, this good news is for the poor, for the, for the afflicted. Micah 4, verse 6, in that day declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame. I will gather the outcasts, the rejected, the outcasts, the lame, those that are hurting, those that are in wheelchairs, those that are sick. Isaiah 29, 19, the afflicted will increase their gladness. I love that. It's, it's probably a bad translation. There's, uh, there's one passage, I'm trying to think where it is, um, where it, well, I guess this is kind of the language there in Isaiah 35, but it says, Sorrow and sighing will flee away. Gladness and joy will overtake them. I love that. It's like it's not. It's like it's not going to be a choice. Gladness and joy will overwhelm our hearts in that day. Amen. The afflicted will increase their gladness in the Lord. The needy of mankind will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. The eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. I believe in healing. The Lord often, or the Lord sometimes heals in miraculous ways when we pray for the sick. But there are times when the sick don't get healed. And the day is coming, let's be absolutely clear, that everyone in Christ is getting healed. No one's leaving the prayer meeting 50% better type of thing. The eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf and the lame, those that are in wheelchairs, will leap like a deer. How, how, how high is that for anyone with gardens? You need a fence that's at least eight feet high, right? Like, that's significant to get out of your wheelchair. And um, in that, I'll, I'll do the successful backflip in that day. The mute tongue. It's the reversal. The mute tongue will shout for joy. I love it. Zephaniah 3.19, I will save the lame. Gather those who are driven out. Those who were rejected and driven out, I will appoint for praise and fame. Notice the reversal. Those that were the rejects are now exalted for praise and fame in every land where they were formerly put to shame. Psalm 72, 13. Oh, did we just read part of uh, Psalm 72? He will have compassion on the poor and the needy. The lives of the needy he will save. So I'm going to skip forward to a chart. Skip two, forward two slides. I call the day of the Lord the great reversal. Just a simple, dumb little picture. But multiple times in the New Testament, Paul the Apostle, Peter, and Jesus says, like, don't be like the Gentiles, for they lord it over one another. So the nature of this world is everyone is sort of clawing their way to the top of the pyramid. And, you know, you get these public servants, public servants that get into power, and the purpose there is to be servants of the people. Um, 
Alessandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC, right? Like she got in, uh, what is she? She's a congresswoman? Or she is? Yeah, she's a she, Yeah. And um, she complained, oh, we don't get paid enough to live in D.C. Right, like she got in first. She said, I mean, well, is she even 30 yet? I don't know how old she is. Anyway, super liberal congresswoman, and she complains they're not getting paid enough. Well, she's only been in for what now, two years? She drives a Tesla. She's, got, she's doing very, very well. Why? Because they're not there to serve. They're there to enrich themselves, to become more powerful, to vote for pay increases, to vote for no term limits, etc., etc. And they, they're not serving the people. They're exploiting the people under them, even if they use all the language of, you know, they're here for the oppressed. So, so the nature of the world is to put themselves at the top of the pyramid. Jesus says in Philippians 2, and, so, and think about this, he says, guys, have in yourselves the same attitude as Jesus. Well, although he was God Almighty, again, the one who spoke and you Although he was God Almighty in the flesh, he had every right to demand to be treated like God. No, he didn't do that at all. He didn't consider being treated like God and being equal to God something to be seized or demanded. No, it says he made himself a servant. He purposefully took on flesh and put himself at the bottom, even to the point of obedience, to the point of death on the cross. He allowed himself to be mutilated by his enemies by his enemies, in order that we who were his enemies could actually be adopted as his father's children. He put it in and he says, guys, have that same attitude, because you're not even God Almighty. He says, have that attitude, serve others, put yourself, identify. Like, even if you're not poor, oppressed, marginalized, hated, afflicted, etc., identify with that and put yourself, become a servant. Okay? So that's sort of the nature of things now, but when he returns, go to the next slide, everything gets flipped upside down. Those that put themselves at the top are cast down, humiliated, humbled at the very least, and or cast into the lake of fire. Those that were humble servants are exalted with the king of the earth and will rule and reign with him. So it's delayed gratification, it's not gratification, but it's, we understand that we identify with him as a servant now, but that's not forever. There is a day when everything gets flipped upside down. That's why it's the day of justice. And by the way, if there's not a day of justice, if there's not a day of which all of history is moving toward, then everything we believe is just stupid. Like, if there's not a day when all wrongs are made right, and when the just judge actually executes judgment and justice is carried out, if we're just turning our other, you know, turning our cheek, like it's just, we're just preaching like windism. But there is a day of justice. Do you, you know, windism is not even a word, but do you know what I'm saying? Well, now it is. It's the English language. I can do what I want. There is a day when. Those that have been oppressed, that have waited and yearned and longed for that day, it's coming. And the whole world will make sense once that comes into place. So, as a result, there will be a new global leadership structure. This is really good news. This is great news. So, Psalm 110. A lot of people are freaked out when they read this for the first time because it's talking about Jesus. It's one of the 
most well-known messianic prophecies in the Psalms. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So Yahweh says to Adonai, the Father says to the Son, sit at my right hand until the time comes for you return to, to return and crush your enemies like a footstool under your feet. That's the language. And he says this, the Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead. Some translations say the corpses and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. Jesus? You know, like I thought he was just the gentle shepherd. He leads me beside still waters. And all the pictures, he's got a lamb over his shoulders. You know, it's like this hippie. No, he's coming back as the warrior king to engage in a very hostile takeover of the earth. And those that have exalted themselves, as I said, dictators, etc., etc., will be crushed. It says he's coming back to kill unrighteous, self-serving rulers and politicians. And then, and then, not only does he get rid of the bad guys, he will put into place the good guys. Luke 19, verse 7. On that day, he will say, Well done, my good and faithful servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter. Because you were good taking care of the kids. And you know what I mean? Just the humble thing, the thankless job that you did for your whole life without any acknowledgement. Take charge of ten cities. And I'm like, no thank you. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? The purpose here is the role reversal. The, the earth will be governed by the meek, the humble. Those that have determined to be servant leaders throughout the earth and imitate Jesus, they who have been faithful. Because, listen, we're saved by the blood of Jesus, yes, but our faithfulness in this age, or our lack thereof, will very much determine our role, our job, so to speak, in the age to come. Our rewards are our lack of rewards. Our contingent on how we live, how we live matters. Just because we're saved by the blood doesn't mean I can just live any way I want. It doesn't matter. Faithfulness matters. This whole life is an internship. He's watching to see how faithful we are, and that will determine essentially eternity. Like it's not a small thing. There will be no more wars. In an age of ISIS and dictators and so on and so forth, there's a time for war. It says in Ecclesiastes, there's a time for war. I'm not a, a pacifist. In the presence of evil, there's times that evil needs to be physically, violently challenged. Amen. Amen. But, um, and don't get me started, you know, arguing. I get so frustrated. Like, so you call the police? I would just call the police. I'm like, so you're just, you're just delegating violence to someone else, right? Like, how is that more morally superior? Just anyway. But, um, Isaiah 2, look, the bottom line, though, is there's more vets that commit suicide every day, you know, with the development of new medical treatments and technologies, we have more vets with, you know, prosthetic limbs, and, but not just that, post-traumatic stress syndrome, traumatic brain injuries, on and on and on, and the bottom line is war is a horrible thing, sometimes it's necessary, it's not good, it's horrible, it's brutal. You know, the, the, the kids in Syria that um, some of the gals are ministering to, 
They've never, like, these kids grew up, they've never known anything other than serious, horrific war, like seeing their family members killed, you know, being refugees fleeing from one city to the next, and they're like, you know, 12 years old, and they're just, they've got the stress level of a guy that's been to Afghanistan on four tours, you know what I'm saying, or worse, actually sometimes much worse, like they've just lost the essence of what it's to be a kid. The day is coming when all that will be history. He will judge between the nations and settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares. So this is um, using poetic language. The point is we're going to convert our weapons, our utensils of war, and convert them into tools for agriculture, their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will not take up sword against nation anymore, nor will they train for war. It's a, something that we can all rejoice in and look forward to. And we will rebuild the earth. This is actually really cool. Sometimes we picture Jesus is going to return and just wave a magic wand. And um, you there in the back with the disruptive children. <laughs> I have uh, five, so people are like, oh, we're so sorry about the kids. I'm like, what? I didn't even notice. Like, they're screaming at a much lower decibel level than my household on any average moment. This is beautiful. Isaiah 61, verse 4. They will rebuild the ancient ruins. So, look, Jesus came the first time. He didn't just pop into the earth. Ta-da! Like, he was born. You know, he diapers and breastfeeding and like just the whole nine yards. And the Lord, he, he doesn't do things by magic. He, do, he does things very earthly, earthy ways, sometimes quite earthly. And it says, after he returns, we who will partner with him will rebuild the ancient ruins. We will raise up the former devastation. Now, there's a lot of devastation that's going to happen in that little period before he returns. They will repair the ancient cities, desolations of many generations. So just to put this in context, you go, okay, how many people in the room, they don't, everybody except for the pastor raise their hand who wants to, hates their job and would love to quit their job and partner with Jesus in Jesus' Kingdom Earth Architectural Rebuilding Committee? Like, you know what I mean? Like, and I, I go like, I love thinking about this because I'm like, Jesus, what type of architecture will you really be into? When we rebuild the earth, like, are you really the, you know, hippie of all the, um, I'm sorry, sir, with long hair, I did not mean to look at you. Is he really the hippie? It's, it's, it's such a powerful place when you're up here and you have a microphone. You can just pick on people and, and they have no recourse. They just have to um, Is it going to be like, Hobbit homes, they're all like Art Nouveau, you know, built into the hill, or is it going to be, you know, Middle Eastern, you know, Mediterranean with a clay tile, orange roofs that, you know, some of the earth pigments, or is it going to be like big, majestic, uh, Washington, D.C., Gothic revival, you know, like what, like, you know, and then you just get, or is it going to be something totally unlike we could, what we, you know, but he's going to be in charge and we get to partner with him. And here's the thing, we get excited about this. You just go like, what's he talking about? He's talking about architecture. You know, like, why do we get excited about it? Here's why. Because we were created 
in the image of our creator. And he's a creator. So we're creative beings. We like to create. We like to partner with our creator in creating stuff. That's why the first thing kids do when they, they start drawing on the walls, or ideally on paper with crayons, right? Like they start creating like as soon as they can. Sometimes before they can even walk. They, you know, and we get excited about this. It resonates in our hearts because we were not made to be ghosts forever. We were made to have bodies. We're not made to have dying bodies, aging bodies, sick bodies, sinful bodies. But we were made to have bodies, and we will have bodies. At the resurrection, we'll be clothed with immortality forever. Eyeballs in their sockets, taste buds. There's a verse that I didn't include. I need to, I'm going to look it up because it's awesome. And the, um, so there's a new Bible translation out. It's called the CSB. It's relatively new. And it's the former HCSB, the former Holman Christian Standard Bible. But it's now, they've sort of completed it after years of renditions. It's the Christian Standard Bible. And it's a very conservative, okay, so it's a very conservative Bible, super easy to read. Because remember like the old NIV, it was like easy to read, but people were like, I'm not sure. And then it kind of went, they, they did the T-NIV and they added all these like, gender neutral pronouns and then everyone just said forget this anyway the point is I'm, I'm a big fan of the CSB it's like a really good new translation I'm excited about it and I don't have the CSB here so I don't even know why I said all that but I love the new CSB translation because I'm going to read this from the ESV and I'm going to tell you the CSB so it's talking about when he returns the marriage supper of the lamb on Mount Zion and it says on this mountain in Mount Zion, the Lord of hosts will make for will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of and I got to be careful here because we're in Baptist church of well aged wine. So sorry, Baptists, and also sorry, vegetarians, because it says of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. So it's talking about this feast. The CSB says of choice cuts of meat. It doesn't say marrow. Marrow? What's marrow? Who eats marrow? Choice cuts of meat. So anyway, that's my new favorite translation. But we were born, the Lord created us with taste buds. He designed us to enjoy flavors and foods. And after we die, then comes the resurrection. We get to eat stuff and enjoy food and wine and get all this stuff, right? I'm not like, it's not like, heaven, we're just going to be a big party. That's not what I'm saying. But the point is, he created spices and flavors and things. It's not like that's bad because it's of the world. No. In the beginning, it was good. There's things to be enjoyed. And I, I just, I love the, the substance of it all. Again, because that's how we were made. We were created to have, to have bodies. There will be fishing. So I always highlight this. My dad just died about two years ago, um, almost exactly two years ago, April 14, two years ago. And he was a fisherman, commercial fisherman. So um, he was actually a UPS driver, and then he would do fishing on the weekend, but he retired at 52. And so for basically another 30 years, um, was a fisherman. Toward the end, he was blind and senile. And that didn't stop him. He would be like, literally be like, this is saltwater fishing. He's like, 
Oh, almost crashed into a boat the other day. I'm like, Dad. Like, I understand we have to take away your license for the streets. I was like, but the ocean. Like, you have the whole ocean. Like, how do you all... He's, and then he would say, well, I mean, I can't see it. It's right in front of me. <laughs> and Macula, he's like, I, you know, I have to turn sideways to see it, right? Um, so I said, Dad, you know, after you die, because, you know, again, you've seen I don't know it's like, you know, you know, the deficient... His fishing years were coming to a close, and um, I said, you know, I found a beautiful verse in Ezekiel, and uh, I said, there's clearly going to be fishing in the age to come. Like, we can still go fishing. Like, we will go fishing together again. And that's real. That's not just, like, fun. Like, like this is substantial. As real as this moment is real right now, my dad and I will go fishing together again. You know, right now he's, his body is just ashes uh, because, <laughs> because he died during COVID. So, you know, so. okay, so many swarms of living creatures. It talks about this river that will flow from Jerusalem. It's a beautiful picture, by the way. The Mount of Olives splits and a river will flow out of Jerusalem and then go south down to the Dead Sea and it will make the Dead Sea fresh. It says, swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish. How many fishermen in the room? What are you, what's your main, what are you, what are fisher people? Um, what do you, uh, what's the big, what, what do you go for around here in Oakland? I mean, I moved out from Massachusetts, now I live up in Kansas City, and I'm like, yeah, these catfish taste like some good mud. <laughs> what, do you, what do you go for? Catfish. After church, can we go down to the river and do some noodling? <laughs> I've still never gone noodling. It's, that seems like a Midwestern rite of passage. You know, part of one of the games. You, know, you get to stick your hand in a muddy hole and catch a catfish with your hands. Um, but these will not be catfish, these will be saltwater fish. There will be large numbers of fish. Because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So the Dead Sea will become fresh well. Fresh water, actually, I guess they're not salt water. So that where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to Engedi. There will be places for the spreading of the nets. Now, some people, be, you know, because you know, you get these kind of liberals and um, young people, and I'm uh, just kidding. And, uh, and they're like, well, like, in the millennium, we'll catch and release. <laughs> this is not catch and release. They're not down there with nets so they can release them back. So I, I met this um, Missouri uh, painter for 20 years, and I, what was he? He was a drywall or something, and he had this, this great, it was so funny because he had this super thick, like, Missouri accent, but then he would speak Spanish to all the crew, because it was whole crew was Mexican, you know, Mexicans, and he would be like, you know, like, hey, on the lake, don't believe so, You know, like, he, like, he just spoke Spanish with, like, a Midwestern accent, so funny, but, um, I don't speak Spanish, so, um, he goes, uh, he goes, I can't, and this was a great saying, he goes, I catch and release into hot grease. <laughs> 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 
The fish will be of many kinds. Just like the fish of the great sea. So that's where I get confused, because that's like the Mediterranean Sea, which is salt water. But the point is, there is a fishing industry that will continue during the millennium because people will be eating food. Jesus, in his glorified, resurrected body, came back and he ate fish on the beach and he cooked it. He didn't just like, it wasn't like Bigfoot. He didn't just grab it out of the water and bite its head. He cooked it because he wanted it on charcoal. He wanted it, he did it right. You know, like, and he, I'm sure he enjoyed it. You know, it wasn't just for show. He ate fish. Now, I don't understand how glorified bodies work. What do we do? Do we just convert it into raw energy? I don't know. We won't talk about that, but it'll be different. Let's just put it that way. There will be gardening and vineyards. Amos 9, 9 through 15. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman will overtake the reaper. The idea is spring comes, and the previous harvest from the fall was so abundant that the plowman is overtaking those that are still gathering in so blessed. And the treader of grapes, him who sows seed. Because there'll be so many grapes from the previous year. The mountains will drip with sweet wine and the hills will be dissolved. It's very poetic. He says, I will restore the captivity of my people Israel. So Israel, the people that have been mistreated more than any other people down through history are restored to their land under the leadership of their king. And they will rebuild the ancient cities. They will live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. Make gardens and eat their fruit. It's described in many, many ways as this sort of agrarian utopia. This paradise. And I will also plant them on their land. And they will not again be uprooted. They will not again be rooted out from their land which I have given them, says the Lord. So this very sort of Israel-centric promises there. But I mean, it talks about vineyards and gardening and uh, like, uh, and, you know, again, who, how many people would love to quit their job? Or how many people want to take a few days off and just play in your garden, right? Like, again, we love to do it because we love to partner with God who makes things to grow. We partner with him. And you know how it is. I always joke, but whenever you grow your own vegetables, you're just like, oh, this is the juiciest tomato I've ever had. It's like the best tomato because there's just this joy in, in again, growing it, you're growing it yourself, and this sort of thing, as opposed to buying it up from the dispensary. So, Michael Ford, verse 10, they will beat their swords into plowshares. So, we've already sort of looked at this, and their spear. It blows me away, seriously, though, to be in Oklahoma, like such a conservative state, and see all these. Um, Dispensaries. I mean, I guess eventually it's going to be everywhere. But I, I was just home uh, with a funeral uh, with my, my best friend growing up as a teen. And um, he, he died of cancer because he, you know, he got saved shortly after I did and then he backslid. But he always smoked his whole life and he smoked weed like crazy. But he believed that weed oil was going to save him from cancer. And, um, and the doctor was like... Uh, if weed would heal you of cancer, you wouldn't have cancer. Um, obviously, that's all he did is smoke weed. But anyway, my point was this. Um, I was saying to the guys, like, these were all my old super drug buddies from before I got saved. And I was like, yep, 
the utopia that we dreamed of is here. You know, like weed's legal. I was like, and it's just boring. It's boring. Like it's just it's scary as a parent because your kids are now like it's just free. And, and all my friends, they were like, yeah, I don't smoke weed anymore. It's just you know. I was like, this is what we dreamed of as kids, and it's just stupid. But anyway, this is the new brave new world that we live in. Amsterdam is everywhere. Even in Oklahoma. It's just, it is, it's bizarre to me. They will beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, will they train for war? Look at this. Every man will sit under his own vine and his own fig tree. This is not communism. Everybody has their own vine and their own fig tree. And no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. It's a beautiful picture. So I kind of say this is more for the introverts. Because they're just sitting under the, you know, just <laughs> sipping their coffee in the morning. Just you and me, Lord, like, thank you for the vine. And, uh, but then you have an almost identical statement for the extroverts, Zephaniah 3, 9 through 10. I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. In that day, each of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine and fix me and declares the Lord Almighty. What are you guys doing tonight? Have you seen these fits? Crazy. Come on over. The wife's giving him the eye. When are they going home? I just want to sit under the vine by myself. There's so much more. Like, I just, like, honestly, I haven't even updated this sermon in years. There's a thousand verses like this throughout the Old Testament that give substance Substance to our hope. Guys, okay, so like any number of things. I start, I say, you know, you might lose your health, you could, you know, lose loved ones. Your life can fall apart. The gospel is not, like, what do you say to someone that's, you know, very sick or has, you know, a terminal diagnosis or you lost a loved one or a child or whatever or lost their job? <laughs> Don't worry, brother. It's going to get better. Well, is it? It might, but it might not. Our hope, the good news that we have is not things in this age are going to get better. Because they, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. The bottom line is, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed. Uh, Max and Kim, I'm sorry. And, um, and she's feeding me all this incredible health stuff. And it's awesome. And she's got the essential oils and I'm loving it. And uh, but the thing of it is, is all the essential oils in the earth, I'm still going to be 51 next year. Yeah. And then 52. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, we still get old. We still eventually die. Like, we can, we can do our best to put the brakes on. But the bottom line is, we're barreling down toward a grave, every one of us. Like, and the good news is not that we can stop that or prevent it. The good news is the day is coming when we would inherit eternal life. The day is coming when everyone gets healed. The day is coming when every broken heart is healed. The day is coming when everyone that was rejected is appointed for praise and fame. Those who were faithful, the, the great reversal is coming. That's our hope. That's the anchor of hope for our soul. That's why the return of Jesus is called our blessed hope. The hope that we have that's been offered to us, that the Lord has promised, He has sworn, it's unshakable, it's unmovable. The gospel is not like, hey, become a Christian, your life is guaranteed to get better. Yes, if you're a 
drug addict and this and yes, it will probably get a lot better. Like 99% it's going to get a lot better. But there's no promises. Ultimately, there's no guarantees. You can contend, you can fight for it, but there is a promise that the day of the Lord is coming. Is that the baptism is? It just, it just happens? So there's so much more that we can talk about. Let's pray. And I'm going to call Robert up um, to come on up and I'm going to uh, wrap things up. So Father, I thank you for this community. Thank you for this church. Thank you for this house. Father, we confess before you that we are poor, we're weak, we're broken, we're sad, we're anxious, we're depressed. We have your Holy Spirit in us, but we're still not complete. But we rejoice. We are encouraged because we believe that you're faithful. We believe that your promises are true. And that day is coming and we will see it. We'll smell it. We'll taste it. We'll hear the sounds of the songs of Zion. The choirs, the smells and the fragrances emanating around the vicinity of the temple. We'll see you with our eyes. We won't just sing about you or imagine you. We will see you. Taste the flavors of the New Jerusalem. We yearn for that day. We long for that day. We ask that you would burn into our hearts a confidence in this reality. That we would be excited to share these truths. To call others in. That they too would flee. They too would leave behind and abandon the worthless insanity of this current system. This age that's crumbling and falling apart all around us. We ask that you give us the ability to speak clearly with conviction, that you would accompany our words with the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that we would see this community multiply and grow. We ask for our children that you would protect them in this dark and wicked age, that they would have the insight and the wisdom to leave behind the lies and the spreading darkness that that masquerades as light. We thank you for your gospel. We thank you for the hope that you have guaranteed for us. Again, we ask that you would encourage our hearts, that we would go forward with confidence. We thank you for these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. So I'm going to call the elders forward and... Um, wrap things up. If um, I'm not sure the exact order, but with the Lord's Supper, and then if anyone has any specific prayers. And so, um, elders are here to pray for anything um, or in response to the message. Um, one thing I, I mean, based on that, if you, if you need um, the ministry of the Spirit to make the hope real. Uh, we want to pray for you for that. Because it's hope that's unseen, right? Like that's the whole point. It's unseen. Not here yet. And so we need the Spirit to remind us every day and fill